This is the show with Cannon Brown. So genomics was kind of the the commercial dairy industry taking the animals back. Uh, because what we found over time was that the cows that won in the show ring were way too tall, way too long, and uh, didn't breed back as quickly. And some of these traits that we look for on the commercial side, they weren't choosing in the registered uh, industry. And so genomics has allowed us to say, hey, these are the metrics that we value on the, on the commercial herd. And so these big, tall, framey cows that don't milk a, a lot, and they've got an udder that will last for a very long time, but they just don't milk that well. You know, in the first couple of lactations, the industry is saying, no, we want more milk on the on the first couple of lactations. We want health traits. Um, we want animals that breed back quicker. And so these are all traits that we can now choose from with genomics that we couldn't uh, just, you know, pick from the cow that won in the show ring. That last few minutes might have been a little confusing. You'd like to know who I was talking to, wouldn't you? What's up, guys? My name is Cannon Brown, and you are tuned into the show. I've got a great guest for you guys today. His name is Mr. Dwayne Faber. He's a dairyman from the great state of Washington, and I wanted to have him on to discuss the crazy things that are happening in the dairy industry right now. I'm sure some of you have seen posts on Facebook and other social medias of dairymen across the country and dairy farms pouring out all their milk because uh, they can't get it to where it needs to be, to where it's contracted out to be. So I wanted to have Dwayne on, uh, a well-known dairyman on social media, to discuss this crazy thing that is happening as a result of uh, panic buying and and, uh, the outbreak of COVID-19. That's the last time we're going to talk about this virus in my intro. I think we talk about it a little bit in the interview. I'm sorry. It needs to be talked about, okay? I know some of you guys want an escape from it, but it's a huge part of what's happening in the world right now, so it's going to be part of the conversation as of now. Um, stay tuned for after the interview and my post-interview kind of closing segment, outro segment. Uh, I give you some insight into my bonus episode that's coming out very soon, uh, what's going to be in it, the content, Uh, the topics that I'm going to cover in it, and then a chance for you to be involved in the bonus episode. So stay tuned for after the episode to check that out, and then follow me on all my social medias, at the show pod on Instagram and Facebook, and at the show underscore pod on Twitter. I would love that. You guys are incredible. I hope you guys like this interview, and that's enough of me talking. I talk too much already. Let's do it, Mr. Dwayne Faber. You're safer here than any place else. Now just lock yourself in and keep quiet. Yeah, can you hear me? You bet. All right, perfect, dude. Hey, uh, Dwayne uh, Faber, is that how I say your last name? It is, yes. Fa- oh, uh, is that like a first-time guest? Do people say Faber ever? I have heard Faber, yes. Yes, <laughs> either Faber or Faber, yes. I had to go through a list of uh, different words in my head. I'm like, that m- might have an A at the, like right at the second uh, letter. And I had to make sure that I was like, okay, is it Faber or Faber? But I went with it. I got it right. So we're good. Yeah, there we go. No, that's <laughs> great. That's great. Um, now, you're in uh, Washington, uh, the beautiful uh, western side of Washington. Um, I've got family on the eastern side, and that's not too pretty. Uh, i got to be honest with you. There's Washington is very different when it comes to the east and west side of the state. Yeah, it's a tale of two two states almost, right? It, uh, the eastern side of the state typically is more agriculture, more conservative, which are typically more my kind of people, uh, more hippies and tree huggers here on the west side. But the west side, yeah, we're blessed. We've got the ocean right by, and we've got the mountains and trees. And for about six, seven months of the year, this is probably the prettiest part of the country. Uh, we pay for it in the in the fall and the springtime with a with a ton of rain but yeah. uh, it is it is beautiful in the summertime yeah you you surely get a heavy coating of rain uh but gosh dang in the summer months it's just so green and beautiful it, it, there's just so much like just fresh air up there it's different it's different than being down here for sure absolutely yeah no it uh summertime's here i mean we rarely get above 80 85 and no, we get usually, a, I, I live fairly close to the ocean, so we get an ocean breeze every afternoon around 1 o'clock and cools things down. So, no, it is, it is, it's God's country up here. It's beautiful for a, a portion of the year anyway. So 
Now, what I don't think of when I think of Washington, especially Western Washington, is dairies, especially close to the ocean. Um, I don't think I'm when I think of a dairy, I don't think I'm thinking of uh, oceanfront property, if you know what I mean. No, absolutely. Although uh, this part of the country for years, actually decades, we had the highest milk production per cow uh, out of the entire United States just because this this, uh, climate is just so conducive to dairy cows, just because it's so uh, cool in the summertime and it's fairly mild during the wintertime. So it's a climate that the cows actually really love and, and they thrive in and they do well and naturally produce a lot of milk out here. So there is a there is a rich history of, of dairy farms on the west side of the state, and it has been dwindling. They're typically smaller smaller sized dairy farms, but uh, no, it's it's been a it's very conducive for for animals and for agriculture. So yeah, it's um I, I mean especially if you uh, I mean if you grow up on the western side of the state and uh, you got to be pretty proud uh, of that milk production. Um, coming from Washington, because I mean, it, you grew up there. You're kind of used to that being there. But uh, I'm not used to Washington being known as uh, a dairy state. But I think that's awesome that that climate is very conducive to high milk production. I think that's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. With that comes the challenges of people. We we've got a lot of people out here, and so they're out here making more and more regulations, and so regulation has been tough, just uh, trying to manage that and work through that. So we are surrounded by people, and, and with people comes challenges. And yet we've got also got a population that really wants uh, local agriculture. They want local milk production. And so, yeah, we're excited to provide that for them, and, and hopefully that this will be a place that dairies can continue to exist for a long time. Now, I, we're going to get back to your life, but I wanted to touch on, uh, we talked briefly yesterday about the whole milk thing that's going on right now. Um, you can't find it in the stores, but you go on social media and you see uh, dairy farmers just letting it all go, let, opening the hatches. Uh, can, you, can you explain uh, just in a little bit of detail what, is, what the heck is going on um, with the milk industry right now? Yeah, you bet. So in, in our industry, we got several main products. We've got fluid milk. We've got ice cream, cheese, butter, and powder, which, you know, those are typically exported, the powders. But what happened was with the COVID-19 coming about, there was a huge rush of people that went to the grocery stores and bought fluid milk. Uh, they went to the stores to buy staples. You know, they, that's the eggs, the bread, the fluid, or the jug milk. And so there was a huge rush on that. Well, the, the production capacity is only able to produce so much fluid milk. And so you saw shortages of fluid milk in the stores, uh, shortages of jug milk. And so we've, we're trying to get those supply chains filled back up again. And with that also came the collapse of the restaurant industry. The restaurants are shut down, roughly 80, 90 percent of them. I think some of the pizza places are still open and there's some delivery open. But for the vast majority of the country, the restaurants are shut down. And so 30% of milk in the U.S. goes into the food service industry, into the retail food industry. And so that got completely hammered. And so the infrastructure that's geared up to provide cream and uh, butter and packaged cheese to these restaurants, now they have got no place to go with that, that product. And as consumers eat at home, Typically, they eat less dairy at home than they would going out to eat. When you're going out to eat, it's a lot of uh, butter and creams and sauces and a lot of cheese, you know, when you're going out to eat. And so that uh, was demand destruction on one end and huge demand on the other. And the supply chain just wasn't geared up for it. We've also had some issues with export as uh, there's a flight to safety as other countries are looking to buy American dollars that the American dollar increased in value and these other countries weakened their dollar. And so they are less able to go and buy U.S. dairy products. And so they can't afford it anymore because there's huge uh, currency fluctuations. And then also just the uncertainty of it all. And so 16% of our milk gets exported. And a lot of that has really slowed down or dried up completely. And the, the co-op that I sell to, Dairy Gold, we've got a huge presence for export. 50% of our milk goes overseas. 
And a lot of that now is just getting put into warehouses. And, and we're sitting on this powder that normally goes overseas. And uh, there's there's real fear that that's going to create a wet blanket on the industry for, for quite some time as you've got these inventories building up and piling up. And so we've got several things going on. And I think dairy was the first one to see it just because dairy is produced every day. But uh, there's reports now that we're starting to see that with bacon. We're starting to hear about it in uh, the beef industry. And so there's these ripple effects that, you know, you've, you've changed the processing demand and uh, the market can't shift overnight. So we've seen a lot of negative results from that. That's wild, the whole process. I mean, I don't think a lot of people, a lot of consumers think about the whole process when they're going and they're going to the grocery store and they need to stockpile up on everything. They don't understand the infrastructure that's just demolishing behind it. Uh, as they take ten gallons of uh, ten gallons of milk each person uh, at a at a Costco that serves twenty thousand people or something like that, I that's there needs to be more of an infrastructure to like uh, inform people about this whole deal. I really think so. <laughs> Absolutely, we're 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 doing God's work right now, so we're we're letting the masses know. So it's good, <laughs> and they need to hear from dairy farmers, right? And, yeah. and that's so that's the the dichotomy that people are struggling to wrap their minds around is, hey, we've got shortages on jug milk in the stores, and then they're dumping it out into fields, right? And But the reality is that that milk was slotted for typically export or, or the restaurant industry, and that's just been completely destroyed as far as from a demand uh, standpoint. And the jug milk factories, they can only work so hard in processing and, and putting product out. And so hopefully as... The, you know, people start acting a little more reasonable on their purchases and, and there's less hoarding. Uh, the, the processing will catch up on the fluid milks side and we'll be able to push more fluid milk out there. And so, but yeah, it's created a whole litany of issues that we're just trying to work through as an industry. As a dairy farmer, I mean, you've gone through ups and downs. I mean, the milk industry has always seen um, just, it's been so volatile. Uh, it's been one of the most volatile industries in the past uh, in past like four or five decades. Is this is completely new, right? I mean, this is something that dairy farmers are seeing that they're pretty surprised by, or are they used to this change? Yeah, <clears throat> that's a great question. This and this kind of caught people off guard. <laughs> Excuse me. We had a uh, four or five years now of break even to losing money. And so there was a lot of red ink uh, across the entire dairy complex. And we were going into this year <clears throat> with the expectation that this was going to be a good year. Uh, we were due for a good year and, and the cyclical nature of the industry was suggesting that this was going to be a good year. And we had $18 on class three and class four, not 60 days ago. And so if you pull up a graph on the futures market, I mean, this is unprecedented. I mean, we had a 30% correction or fall in class four and a 25% fall in class three. And so we went from $18 all the way down to $11 and $12.50 roughly. Oh my gosh. And so this is an, yeah, this is an unprecedented collapse. And, and the, 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 the real negative about all this is very few people went out and hedged appropriately. Very few people used the futures market to go and use options or sell their sell their milk outright, and so there's something like 25 to 40 percent of the milk in the U.S. is covered with insurance programs or with uh, sold positions, and so a lot of the industry is heading into this downturn with zero protection, with zero booked sales uh, on their books, and so there it's going to be ugly, and it's going to be ugly quickly, and so. So it, there's going to be dairies going out of business as a result of this. And, and we'll see what the response is from the USDA. I would imagine that there is some some support from the government, and we'll see where it goes. But this is a, uh, this is a landscape-changing uh, event here. This is a, this is a blowout event. And, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, there were people struggling so much going into this, and this was supposed to be the good year. And... Uh, 
So we will see where it goes. It uh, we live in interesting times. Well, I mean, the dairy industry—it's it, such a struggling industry. I, like you just said, I mean, the past five years, there's been a lot of red ink, uh, and I think I think that's just with everybody around the country. There's there's small dairies going out of business every single day. It seems like this this won't be good for the dairy industry, and there has to be some some support. Uh, from the government to these dairymen, and I'm not talking about a $1,200 check. Um, right. Yep. But, uh, I mean, it, but if you're looking to buy milk futures at $12, it's pretty decent, pretty low. <laughs> yeah, no, from a, from a hedging perspective on, you know, the restaurant or the food service side, absolutely, they can lock in, you know, pretty low, 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 uh, low milk inputs, right? And yeah. so... That is going to be happening, and yet there's still so much unknown, too, on, as to when those restaurants open. You know, what sort of demand destruction is there going forward? I mean, there, there is no new, there, there is no going back to the way things once were 30 days ago or 60 days ago. Uh, people are, people's attitudes are going to be different. People are going to be hoarding cash. There's going to be uncertainty. There's going to be layoffs. And, and people are going to be less inclined to go out to eat and sit in a restaurant with a hundred, hundred of their closest friends and, and breathe in the same air. And so we will see where this all goes, but there's going to be pain for quite some time going forward. There is good. So it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do, and, doom and, and gloom it, on the way. <laughs> I know, I know. And well, and, and for me personally, I, yeah, it, I, I had sold a bunch of uh, milk and I've got some insurance programs on to help weather it. I mean, it's, it wasn't impressive. But it will keep the lights on, right? And and at that point, I'd made a decision. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna hedge this a little bit just because I, I can't afford an eleven dollar milk price or twelve dollar or maybe even thirteen dollar milk price, right? And um, so we had made a bunch of sales at that fifteen fifty mark, and uh, we should be able to weather this, right? But it's it's going to be an ugly story, and it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be landscape changing for sure. And it's not just with the dairy industry either. I mean, it's going to be game changing and, and industry changing with, I, I think every sector. I, I honestly think every sector is just going to be changed completely by this this pandemic that we're going through. Yeah, a- absolutely right. I mean, we're going to have, yeah, I don't know where it all goes, but to shut down. I mean, the, the wheels of capitalism come grinding to a halt. I mean, what, what the cost of that is, uh, I, we're going to find out. And I think it's going to be ugly because even after 9-11, one of the first things George Bush did was he came out and said, hey, everybody get back to normal. Start going and spending money. We, we need that currency in motion. We need dollars to be flying around and go out there and start spending money. And, and what we're dealing with now, we haven't ever seen this. And it's going to, it's going to be ugly. And and to be fair, we've had 15 years of a strong, um, a strong market. I mean, the, the stock market's been good. Uh, the PE ratios were really at a 15-year high. Uh, the the stock market was due for a correction, and this was kind of the pin that pricked a lot of it. And so. This is also an opportunity for a lot of large corporations now to air their dirty laundry. They've got a mm-hmm. gimme this year to go and, and say, hey, you know, we were kind of you know fudging the numbers a little bit and moving things around, but there is no expectation on earnings for this year. Yeah. And so a lot of corporations are going to air their dirty laundry. And I think we're going to see a lot of dismal earning reports. And also they've got a, a, a blank check to go out and start pulling expenses forward from next year into this year, make this year look as bad as possible so that they can, you know, slowly allow those earnings to grow and they look better and, and their stock price can increase. So there, I, I think we're in for a storm and it's also an opportunity now for a lot of the middle management and the, the political correct side of the corporation. Uh, they're going to start axing a lot of that, those types of jobs that, you know, people pat themselves on the back when things are good and when things are bad, it, those, those jobs are the first to go. Yeah. And corporations are going to find out who they really need and who they don't need. And so we're going to see, in my mind, uh, a massive, massive layoffs once this all gets back to normal, too. I agree. I mean, it, you couldn't have said it better yourself. We were at all-time highs. It was, it was 
one heck of a bull market and now we're going to go into a bearish one and it's going to be a little rough for uh, a little while but we'll get out of it but you're right i mean we were due for a correction and no one could have saw this coming but these this type of event happens all the time uh i mean not all the time but once every 50 years <laughs> right once every 50 to 100 years or something like that but it's it was bound to happen but yeah absolutely all right let's get back to you huh <laughs> enough yeah. with enough with the doom and gloom <laughs> um so you grew up on a family owned dairy. Let me let me ask you some uh some questions because I told you my history. I, I grew up on a family owned dairy and there's some stereotypes uh with when it comes to dairymen. Can I ask you a couple and see if you are fit into these stereotypes? You bet. First one, are you Dutch? I I am Dutch. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, we're <laughs> we're doing well. Um second one, what color's your pickup? Oh, it's white. Oh, I knew it. You okay? That's um. <laughs> we're gonna end it there because I already beat you. Uh, you're Dutch and you drive a white pickup. That's what all the dairymen down here do. So, is that right? Yeah. yeah. See, I didn't even know this. This is like uh, this is like reading the stars or something. This is impressive. I'm <laughs> that it kind of myself here. Kind of is weird, honestly. Uh, yeah. I, I it might just be an Arizona thing, but yeah, all the all the dairymen down here. Uh, drive white pickups, and most of them are Dutch. They're crazy guys. Oh, yeah. They're crazy guys. Um, yeah, I drive. I drive a white pickup. All the sales guys out here drive like Ford F one fifty white pickups too, and I do the same thing. So when I pull onto a farmer's yard, everybody's uh, running away and trying to get away from me, thinking <laughs> I'm trying to sell them something. They so. think you're a salesman. Yes, exactly right. Yeah, they're <laughs> they're j jumping on four wheelers and uh, jumping in their pickups, and they're running away from me. They're trying to get out of there. Now, uh, when you grew up, you were involved in um, 4-H and, and that kind of activities. Did you show any livestock? I did, yeah. I was involved in uh, showing dairy cattle. And so we had a local fair here, uh, a couple of them actually, a state fair and a couple county fairs. And so, no, I was really involved in, in showing dairy cattle, and I really enjoyed that. I was involved in 4-H mostly, not FFA typically, but uh a lot of 4-H and then doing dairy quiz bowl, uh, toured or went around the country doing dairy quiz bowl type stuff. And yeah, it was a, it was a really good time. I enjoyed it. Did you have to wear all white? We did. We did. Ooh, so there's nice. another, uh, yeah, there's another white pickup, white, uh, t-shirt, white pants. I know, uh, it drove the parents crazy as, uh, you know, we're sitting there dealing with animals and, getting hair and poop all over oh, our own nice whites disgusting i had some friends that showed uh dairy cattle and the, first of all i just got to get them some things off my chest with dairy cattle because you can own one of those cows for like 15 years and have it from <laughs> have it from the time you're like three years old till the time you're 18 and win showmanship every single year because it's just broke and I don't like it. Okay. That's my first, <laughs> that's my first gripe about dairy cattle, uh, showman. And then the second one is why do you wear all white? You're just going to get dirty. Those things slobber so much. It, it, it is disgusting. It took a lot of bleach to, to keep those looking, looking right. So it was to the chagrin of uh, every parent out there that the rules were, we had to wear white, but, you're, you are right in that uh, once, once you trained them to lead, then they did really well. Is, is your background in beef cattle? Is that no, right? No, my background is actually in hogs. I sh well, because I, I grew up on a dairy, but um, I didn't show any cattle. <laughs> I, only oh, okay. I only showed hogs. Oh, okay. Um, hogs, you just beat them with a stick, right? Well, there's a little bit more finesse that goes into it than that. <laughs> Come on now, Dwayne. <laughs> that's what it looked like to me from the outside. So. Well, I bet when you were showing, that's all they were doing. They probably had canes out there when you were showing. Yeah, they did. You, you, is, that not, is, that, is that not going now, the cane thing? Oh, no. that It's a little different now. We actually have... Oh. Um, I mean, there's whole like businesses and companies that uh, sell show whips now or show sticks. You can't we we're not supposed to say whips anymore. It's um, we don't we don't want to let like PETA win uh, and and get anything on us. So we say they're show sticks. Oh okay. Oh, but they're whips. Oh, I mean, I, basically. 
but no no yeah. one's showing with a cane unless you go to like um i don't know don't don't take this personally anybody listening but some backwoods like county fair somewhere that has like 30 people at the whole county fair you might find a cane there really uh, oh all, yeah all, all, you, yeah you might all them backwoods hog people yeah, yeah 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 the ones that are breeding them in like sheds and crates out back it'll like the the good old boys yeah, there you go. You hear a banjo playing in the back. Right, they got their their prize uh, uh, fighting hog in the back uh, in the backyard there. And... Yeah, it's a fighting hog. They got Charlotte. It's they got the spider up on the corner. They're they're golden. Yeah. They're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> did you uh, now? Did you guys raise Holsteins? Yeah, well, though uh, well, we didn't discriminate. So we had jerseys, we oh, had Holsteins, nice. and then we kind of had half breeds. Well, growing up, it was all Holstein, but. Uh, yeah, within the last 10, 15 years, it's been, it's been a little bit of a menagerie of different breeds. So I got to tell you, I uh, I grew up on a dairy with Holsteins, but I I love a Jersey cow. I think they're the most pretty thing in the entire world. Honestly, yeah, they they well, and those are rather unique in uh, the show world too because they have a tendency to just fall down and flop over and not want to lead. Is that true? And so I, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They are stubborn. They, the, 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 the jerseys have a mind of their own for sure. So I Dang. typically, I typically showed the, the Holsteins and they were a lot more consistent as far as a, a an attitude. So that's interesting. Uh, I haven't heard that before, but Thank you for telling me. I'll have to watch out for some jerseys in the show ring sometime. I want to see some cattle flop around. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you'll see a lot of these kids that are sitting there showing showing their calves, and they're crying because their calf just decided to lay down and play dead in the show ring. So. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> are, do you, yeah. do you, uh, you've got two daughters. Are, you, are they going to show um, dairy cattle or no? Yeah. So I've, I've actually got three daughters. The oldest oh, one is da- eight. Sorry about that. Oh yeah, no, you're all good. No, it, uh, yeah, I, I forget too sometimes. So, <laughs> um, no, they uh, the oldest one is eight. So 4-H, I believe, starts at nine. But there is a local county fair uh, that's not super serious. They're just trying to get kids involved, and um, so she was signed up for that. And then coronavirus came came yeah. around and kind of ruined it. So she was crying, and so then I went and just took a calf and a hutch home and just put it in the front yard and so she's <laughs> she's got a calf now in the in the front yard which has been cool because now she's got some responsibility you know she's tasked every morning and evening go out and feed it and clean it and take care of it she's she's not doing a very good job showing it because they'll take it out and all three girls will just run with it <laughs> yeah they'll and just so, play <laughs> right right so it's going to be a horrible horrible calf in the show ring but uh, it, it'll just want to sit there and run and, and lead the lead the kids around. But uh, they're having a really good time with it, and it was it's kind of fun to see see them being involved and taking care of an animal and having the responsibility of taking care of an animal. Yeah, you might have to set something up at the if this whole deal doesn't end and the uh, she doesn't have anywhere to take it, you'll just have to set a ring up in your front yard and have a little mock show. You can be the judge. Right. Well, I, I should absolutely do that. We can have all, all three of the kids take turns leading it around, and yeah, we can we can make a whole event out of it. Bingo. Yeah. Now, well, that's um, a great idea. Oh, thank you. I, I have a couple of them sometimes, but uh, I, don't, <laughs> I only give them out for free to my favorite people, so you're welcome. Well, I feel special. I feel special. <laughs> now, you went to, uh, you went to Modesto ju- uh, Junior College in Modesto, California. Um, to judge livestock, or did you judge dairy? Did you judge livestock? No, it was just dairy. Just dairy, perfect. Just dairy. Uh, now, I um, can you walk me through the process of judging a dairy cow? Yeah, you bet. So take take everything you know about a, a judging beef cattle and just mm-hmm. throw it out the throw it out the door. Perfect. Because... I know nothing about it anyway. Oh, is that right? Oh, okay. I thought maybe you were beef too. Well, but, uh... no, I judged cattle in uh, uh, college. I judged livestock collegiately, so I judge cattle sometimes, but I'm not very good at it. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I I really enjoyed cattle judging, and so you want a very clean dairy animal, so very little fat, because the dairy cow is all about producing the most milk amount of milk possible in the most efficient manner. 
And so part of that means having rib structure, that's a deep rib structure, openness of rib, uh, width through the back end. Uh, you know, the udder was a huge portion of judging a dairy cow. And so you wanted uniformity, you wanted correctness, you wanted uh, four udder that's smooth, you know, attached really well. You have a medial suspensory ligament through the middle that you want uh, really strong so that the cow will hold up and, and last a long time in the commercial herd setting. And yeah, you like height, you like length. Um, yeah, those are probably, oh, and then uniformity of feet and legs. Do they track when they're walking? Do they track uh, straight from behind? Um, yeah, uh, and then the they, angle, the angle of, of the back leg. Right, absolutely. The soundness of the leg and, and um, yeah, all things that are designed to to allow them to do well in the commercial herd. So. Interesting. Interesting. I always uh, heard like hooks, hooks and pins. That's always a big thing to talk about in dairy cattle just because they're, they're such a big aspect of the dairy industry. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that rump angle and, and, and having uh, pins that are too high on the back end, that won't allow a cow, or that's usually indicative that a cow won't calve very well. And so you wanted pins that were kind of a nice angle to allow for an easier uh, birth for the calf. Um, one of the interesting things in the dairy industry that's come about recently is the advent of genomics. And genomics are playing a bigger and bigger role now. And a lot of those attributes that won in the show ring, these big, tall, long cows, uh, aren't, aren't really the best for the commercial herd. With genomics, we've been able to, to determine how, the longevity of the animal, the health traits of the animal, and, and find out how much she's going to produce. Uh, all that information is available as a day-old calf from a DNA sample from the hair. Uh, or the skin, and we can we can make a deduction on on where that cow is going to be, or that calf is going to end up as a cow. And so, a lot of this registered breeding has kind of gone by the wayside, and it's been an interesting transition in the dairy industry. From a day-old calf, you can know exactly what it's going to do, basically, from uh, genomics. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You go, it'll tell you the DNA from the, the parent and the mother and, and as good as she will be, this is where she will, she will end up. I mean, there's a saying that, you know, as a day old calf, you can't make her any better. You can only mess her up. So if you do a poor, if you do a poor job raising her, you will limit her ability to perform. But genetically, you can never improve that genetics on her once she's, once she's born. And so a lot of dairies now are, are using genomics to go through and select the highest genomic calves and raising those and not using or selling off those ones that are poor genomically testing. And so we, we've had some real you know, advantages and movement in the quality of the dairy cow um, in, in, in our industry. And uh, yeah, the genetic advancement right now is, is going faster and quicker than ever before because of that. Now, there you, is there still like a huge show in Wisconsin that, uh, like that huge dairy show every year where there's, there's cows that are selling for like millions of dollars or something like that? What, there has to, isn't there a show like that? There is, yeah, the World Dairy Expo in yeah, Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah, World Dairy Expo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you bet, yeah. Is that the, so no, that's the kind of deal you're talking about when people are taking them to the show, those registered cows, and they're not, they're not doing too well commercially? Co correct, exactly. So genomics was kind of the the commercial dairy industry taking the animals back, uh, because what we found over time was that the cows that won in the show ring were way too tall, way too long, and uh, didn't breed back as quickly. And some of these traits that we look for on the commercial side, they weren't choosing in the registered uh, industry. And so genomics has allowed us to say, hey, these are the metrics that we value on the on the commercial herd and so these big tall framey cows that don't milk a, a lot and they've got an udder that will last for a very long time but they just don't milk that well you know in the first couple of lactations the industry is saying no we want more milk on the on the first couple of lactations we want health traits um, we want animals that breed back quicker and so these are all traits that we can now choose from with genomics that we couldn't uh, just you know pick from the cow that won in the show ring Interesting. That's crazy how genomics is, is kind of playing a part in the dairy industry. Now, I would have figured that um, it had always played a part, but I guess it is. Genomics is kind of 
um, just starting to catch fire everywhere. I mean, I know the beef industry has been using it for a while commercially, but I think that's awesome that the dairy industry is kind of coming up with the times and uh, using some new technology. Absolutely. No, it's been fun because on the bull side, they're doing it too, whereas before they would have to raise, you know, tens of thousands of bulls and raise them up to two years old. And then they would have to breed cattle with these bulls and then wait till those calves hit the ground to determine what sort of offspring these bulls were going to uh, to produce. But now they take a sample as a day old and they just determine whether they want to raise that bull or not. And so it's really given them the ability to select for the top 1% of the bulls in the nation and, and be quicker and, and leapfrog in, in genetic advancement. Hmm. That's awesome. I love, I love that stuff when technology comes in with ag and, and we all are just coming together right now, um, mm-hmm. all sectors. It's going to be, I think it's going to be really cool. I mean, we were on doom and gloom earlier, but hopefully it, hopefully it picks up like in the next 10 years. I mean, we'll, we'll Absol- see what happens. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, we're going we're gonna to continue to see consolidation, right? And that's some of the pain of the last uh, five and ten years has just been massive consolidation, too. We've got larger and larger dairies that have lower and lower cost of production. And we saw it in every industry. We saw it in the, in the hog industry. We saw it in the chicken industry. And, and some of it's unfortunate, you know, the, as these family farms go by the wayside. And it's sad to see that. Um, and, and yet it is capitalism and it is the way our country is founded and run, right? And it's the McDonald's pushing out the mom and pop burger, burger chains and restaurants. And, and it's unfortunate and we need to adapt and we have to find ways to become more efficient and we have to find ways to produce a product at a price that we can make a living at. And, uh, so there's challenges everywhere and, and that's certainly something that's going on in the dairy industry right now, so. I've got a question for you. In terms of like exports, uh, we were talking earlier that all exports are kind of canceled right now. I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of um, uh, Saudi Arabian farms uh, in Arizona on the west side of Phoenix. Uh, there's a bunch of Saudi Arabians that have just bought up huge plots of land there and they raise, they put up huge dairies uh, and huge uh, alfalfa farms. What? What do you think they do in this scenario in terms of exporting? Because their, their whole reason of being here and farming and, and owning a dairy is to send it back because they don't have enough land in their area, or they don't have enough water, uh, technically, to raise their own stuff. That's why they're here. What do you think they do in yes. this scenario? So I, I have a, a nutritionist that I work with that has gone to Saudi Arabia once or twice, and he was saying, too, that the water is such a limited resource out there that they were getting paid a huge sum of money to not use the water. Yeah. And so a lot of these large dairies or crop farmers that were out there went and took those dollars and they invested it in other countries where they were able to grow the feed and then ship it back to the dairies in Saudi Arabia. And so that's some of what's going on, too, is these, uh, they, they went out and bought alfalfa farms, even in eastern Washington and Arizona, and then they'll grow the alfalfa and ship it back to Saudi Arabia, and it's cheaper for them to do that than it is to grow alfalfa in Saudi Arabia. Um, I, I'm not as familiar with you know the, the farms in Arizona, like that they actually own the dairies and export the milk. I, I don't know if they would export it back to Saudi Arabia or what they were doing. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, there, there's, it's, it's become a global market and we're seeing a lot of these countries and I think even COVID-19 will, uh, you know, increase this is the realization that food is a national security issue and countries are seeking to control their food source and, and have access to food continually and be able to control that. And, and Saudi Arabia is going to be no different than anybody else. Yeah, I agree with you. Now, um, after, uh, Modesto, you go home, you're, or you, you head back home. Um, and you said you had, you worked for a little bit of experience right after college and before buying into, uh, your dad's dairy. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So Perfect. I came back, I was working at the dairy for a little bit. And then my dad had said that, Hey, I don't want you to learn my mistakes. I'd like you to go work for somebody else. And so at the time I had visions of potentially making cheese and having kind of an on-farm cheese processing facility. And so I worked for a dairy up the road uh, that had a cheese processing side to their dairy. 
Um, and I came to the realization that cheese making, it was 90% uh, scrubbing and cleaning and, and 10% standing over a hot bowl of milk. <laughs> and it lost some of its appeal to me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but I worked for some really amazing, great people and had a good experience and a good time doing it. And so, yeah, I was there for a little bit. And then uh, afterwards, uh, 2009 was kind of a rough year in the industry. And there was an opportunity about an hour south in Skagit County where I went and moved down there and then leased a dairy down there in 2009 and started milking cows myself down there. And, and uh, my dad was still milking kind of in the area on the farm that I grew up on, but I got set up on a leased dairy in 2009. So. And now you, um, you've, got, you've got two leased dairies. Um, how many cows do you run? You said like 1,800 cows? It is, yeah. It's about eighteen hundred cows. We're on two on two leased dairies. So, yeah, yeah. That's a that's busy enough, dude. I mean, that's a lot of cows that you're running. That's a lot of milk. How how much milk do they produce a day? Do you think? Yeah, so I've got Jerseys and Holsteins, and so okay. we've probably averaged sixty to seventy, sixty-five pounds of milk. Um, and yeah, you're only able to do it with good help and good people. And so we've got a really good workforce. I've got a couple of herdsmen that do a really good job, and um, yeah, couldn't do it without good help and and we've surrounded ourselves with some some really exceptional people now besides uh doing uh being a dairy farmer and living the good life you also like to uh dabble in a little public speaking and i wanted to touch on that uh before we end this deal because i think it's a great opportunity and i think more people need to go out there and, and share their story how did you get involved with that and how has your experience been I've always enjoyed public speaking. I've always enjoyed being in front of people and in the spotlight. I was always the MC guy. And, and so I was asked to speak at a couple different events. I was in Toastmasters, and it kind of happened organically. I, I got invited to a few different events, and it's kind of continued to grow. And so I, I don't have any huge expectations for it, but I absolutely love being in front of a group of people and, and uh, sharing my story, but then also sharing some insights into business and running the dairy, and it's 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 grown from from yeah just a few local events to now flying out to a few different areas, and so we'll see where it goes with COVID nineteen. I think I think the speaking industry is going to get hammered here for a little while. I think we're not going to have the uh, conferences like we did you know six, even six months ago or two months ago, and so. We'll see where it goes from there. That's definitely a, a concern, but yeah, it's something that I that I enjoyed, and and I uh, yeah, I'll, I'll continue to pursue it. Well, and if you want to hear uh, uh, Dwayne's thoughts, you've got a you've got your website, uh, DwayneFaber.com, and you've got a blog on there. I checked that out the other day. I I like that, dude. I like your thoughts. Yeah, you've got some good uh, ideas on there. I looked at the CEO, uh, the those two segments. I thought those were cool. Yep. Oh yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, no, it's uh, so yeah. Most people know me from Twitter, and Twitter I try and keep light-hearted and humorous, and but I wanted to to show that I'm not just the funny guy, but also yeah, a business owner and and know a little bit, and and the blog has kind of been a way to put that out there and share some insights, and it's also been helpful for me just to to coalesce my thoughts and put my thoughts together uh, as these speaking events come up, and and. You know, give me gives me the ability to say, hey, this is what I can speak on and talk on. And the more people we have sharing our message about agriculture, I think the better off we're going to be. And as we get more and more disconnected from our food, I think we need to stand up and, and share our story and show people who we are. Because oftentimes, particularly in Washington State, these are the people that are making our rules and our laws, and, and they don't understand agriculture. And so we have to be out there informing, and we have to be at the table, because if we're not... We're going to be dealing with onerous regulation that uh, can potentially make life difficult or even put, put farmers out of business. That's a very good point. I mean, it's important to know what uh, your local uh, legislation and your state legislation is doing at all times so, you know, so you're on the up and up and you know what the heck is going on. Absolutely. Yeah, That's no, we should, uh, we, should all, yeah, we should all be doing that for sure. Now, what's your at on Twitter? Uh, DFaber84. DFaber84. And if you don't follow that, go follow him. He's basically a phenom on Twitter. That's honestly, that's how I met you, or that's how we got together. Um, I just shot you a DM over Twitter. So 
whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is not the yeah. first time either. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been a fun little way to communicate. It's a fun platform to communicate with the world, and yeah, I've enjoyed it. You get some random thought while you're working or sitting on the tractor and just throw it out there and share it with a whole bunch of people. Yeah, might as well. Yeah. Now, yeah. Uh, Dwayne, um, I like to just give an opportunity to my guest uh, uh, at the end here to give some motivational experience or motivational talks i know you kind of just said it um like two minutes ago and you said we need to get out there and inform people but if you have anything else here's your time absolutely i i think oftentimes we are people that have analysis paralysis we we're too scared to make that jump and make that leap into something scary and I think we need to constantly seek out areas that are scary and challenging and embrace them and look for challenges in life. I, I liken it to, you know, going cliff jumping. You know, when you're sitting on the edge of that cliff, you only need to be brave for two seconds. You know, you take that jump and then on the way down, you'll figure it out. And, and in a lot of ways, that's what I've done, too. Is it, and, and I think most people will figure it out. You know, so take that leap. Take that leap. Make that take that risk and go out and, and do something scary. And I think that's what we should all be looking to do. Especially now. I mean, we everyone has so much time to be thinking about that next thing that they're gonna do, that next project, that next opportunity that that could arise. Now's the time to start laying the groundwork to to get things started. Absolutely. No, I agree hundred percent. All right, Dwayne. Well, hey man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. Um, I know you're a future podcaster. So, uh, <laughs> keep me, keep me up to date on if that happens or not. My offer is still open. Um, so, uh -huh. so yeah, just, yeah. just keep me updated. Hey, you, 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 I'll, I'll stand back while you guys are uh, killing it. The ones that are doing it, so you, you're doing a great job. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, we'll have to have, on, have you on again. Um, because I'm sure, I mean, I've got a lot of questions about the dairy industry and I think a lot of people need to know more about it. So I'll, we'll have you on again. You bet, Cannon. I really appreciate it. And, and thanks for the opportunity and reach out anytime. Thank you. Well, I'll talk to you later. Time's limited, so you must listen carefully. Dwayne's a good guy. I, uh, I really enjoyed that interview and I'm glad that Twitter has brought us together and I'm definitely going to have to have him on again. There's more that we can talk about. Okay. I'm going to squeeze a little bit more more time out of him next time we talk uh that way we can go kind of deeper into some subjects also i think we can go into some obscure topics i feel like dwayne's got some really good conspiracy theory uh theories gosh that's a horrible way of putting that all right no edit i'm freestyling now let's go i've already messed up once we got to keep going now um hope you guys like it I'm going to be putting out a bonus episode soon, I promise. I know I've been saying that forever, but I'm going to put out a bonus episode. Here's some of the topics that I'm going to be talking about, okay? I have some guest-inspired topics. Number one, current events, okay? Such as, what, what current events are you going to talk about, Cannon? I'll tell you right here. What's happening with the royal family, okay? Does anybody know? Is the coronavirus all a rouse, a ruse, a fugazi, fugazi? To keep, uh, to keep our eyes away from what's happening with the royal family, they're making moves, okay? They're making moves out of the Windsor Palace and into Canada? Okay, okay. I've seen this before. Uh, a, a European uh, settlement in North America. I've seen this before. Yeah. Came over on three ships. The Nina Pinta and the Santa Maria, okay? Mayflower. The only reason I know those boats, I don't even know if those are the right boats. The only reason I know the name of those boats is from Step Brothers. Don't judge me. The Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria. You guys know the rest, but I'm not going to sing it, okay? That's, that's one topic. Wow, I just got into that a little deep. One topic. Another topic of the bonus episode conspiracy theories that I like I just my lisp really came out there conspiracy theories that's that's better canon thank you I'm going to talk about some of the conspiracy theories that I like that I like to discuss and I'm not going to get into like the real come on like I'm not going to get in 
I'm not even going to get into what I'm not going to get into. Okay, that's a conspiracy. Boom. I'm not even going to get into a tangent on conspiracy theories. I'm going to leave it for the bonus episode. Third piece of content for the bonus episode. I haven't decided that yet. Okay, don't put me on the spot yet. That's why I haven't released it because I'm probably just going to banter or I have to find something better. If you have something better for me to talk about for my third piece of content in my bonus episode, shoot me a message on uh, any of my social medias. If you give me, here's the deal. If you give me a piece of content that I use in my bonus episode, I will give you a shout out. How about that? Okay. One is rural family. Two is conspiracy theories. That one is conspiracy theories is a guest um, promoted content item. That person will get a shout out on the bonus episode. Okay. You know who you are. Shout out to you right now. Many shout out. Um, so that's all I got for you. Hopefully that bonus episode uh, is out within the next week. Okay. Don't push me. It, these are weird times. I've got a lot going on, as you do too. I know you do, okay? You're busy. You're busy people. I know it. All right, that's enough of me. T- this is how bored I am, guys. This is how bored I am. Are you kidding me? I am... I, I'm just talking to myself now. I'm talking to myself, and I'm talking to the mic. I'm talking to you guys. I'm excited to be talking to you guys right now. I don't want to put down the mic. I don't want to press the button to stop recording. I just keep on talking, keep on to talk to you. I mean, what's happening now? All I do is I go to work and I come home. That's all I do. When I go to work, people are hounding me. Gosh dang. I mean, it's it's slowed down. You guys, if you don't know, I work at a grocery store. I'm a butcher. Um, It's slowing down. People aren't, at least where I am, Tucson, Arizona. It's slowing down quite a bit to be honest with you guys. Uh, we're not getting bombarded anymore, which is good. I think a lot of people are eating out now or they're getting takeout or all that jazz. But gosh, for a while there, it was crazy. It was crazy. Okay, that's enough of me talking. Um, come back next week for more. I mean, I'm going to release that bonus episode pretty soon. We've got more content coming for you we've got i listen we that's a that's a key word remember that we have more content for you coming very very soon stay tuned come back next week stay safe i love you guys bye bye